Uh, we are going through uh, the book of Proverbs uh, in our local body. Uh, what we do is uh, we go through books of the Bible. And um, our heart is that we want to go through every book of the Bible. Uh, desire is um, just to help make sure that we're getting the full counsel of Jesus. Um, and, um, and it helps me uh, as a human uh, to not focus on those areas uh, that, are, that, are, uh, that are safe uh, for me, uh, that can lift me up. Uh, but, but it allows us to get the whole council scripture and go to the text and say, here's what Jesus is saying, and then we talk about it um, as a local body. Um, if you have questions, uh, we are also a body that um, allows you to ask questions. We want that. Uh, we don't want you just getting smarter. We want this to lead toward worship. And so please feel free to do that. We just ask that you would uh, make sure it edifies the body. And if, uh, if you feel like it's just something for you, you can come see me afterwards. We can hang out and chop it up like crazy. So um, one other thing is I want to encourage you guys to get a proverb packet. If you've been going through this, this, this study with us, uh, we've been doing it for a while now. We'll, we'll continue uh, probably to um, the beginning, first couple of weeks of September. I uh, want to give you this, this. We have a proverbs packet. Uh, this is our second packet we've done. What it does, I think it's awesome. It helps you uh, continually sh- uh, hone your Bible study method skills. Um, where we have observation, interpretation, application, questions. Um, in addition, uh, my favorite part is uh, through some hard work of our body members. Uh, we have, uh, and we talk about why this is important in Proverbs in a moment, we have all the different topics and all the verses that correspond with them. So it's kind of like a little cheat sheet. Love it. So I want to encourage you to um, use this as a resource. Grab this if you need it. Um, if you're going to continue to be uh, doing this study with us, uh, I want to encourage you. That should be in the back um, right before you leave where the Bibles are. Okay, let me pray for us. Uh, ask the Lord to be gracious and get our minds right, our hearts right. Hopefully, we're encouraged by singing out to our King uh, and just enjoying Him. Uh, hopefully, the, the reason why we do that uh, uh, logistically is because um, hopefully, when we enter into the Word, there that the Lord has been doing some cleansing in our own hearts. Um, that He's been kind of uh, shaking up and kind of loosening uh, some of our roots. Right. Uh, hopefully, uh, what the Lord does um, is every time we're into God's scriptures, every time we're with the people of God and we're imaging God to each other and reminding God of himself through our interactions, hopefully God is, what he's doing is shaking up some of those roots, um, lo- loosening them in some of the worldly ways of some of the, the lies we're into, and he's replanting them uh, into gospel-centered soil. So that's what our heart is today. I pray that happens um, in this subject that we're talking about today, guys. Um, with that said, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Lord Jesus, we love you, and um, thank you that we get an opportunity to sing out. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, that we're not walking around um, with the audacity of thinking we can be our own gods, uh, the stupidity of, of um, worshiping ourselves or worshiping other created things. Um, thank you you've given us revelation that you are the true creator, that you are the one and only one who should be worshiped. Um, And Lord, we pray that will be our hearts. Um, Even as we say that, even as we confess that and confess our allegiance to you, we find ourselves uh, picking up those old idols and trying to put them back together and put them back on our mantles. And so we ask um, your forgiveness for that, Jesus. And we thank you that we can experience your forgiveness because of the cross. Uh, We thank you that uh, you knew we were jacked up like that. And you saved people um, like us who are your enemies. And you made us your friends. Uh, not because we know how to get rid of idols, because you're faithful to get rid of the idols in our lives and do your work to make us more like you and to see you for who you are. And so we pray for that, Jesus, that we will see you for who you are today. We will worship you. For those in this room, if we've been playing religious games, if we've just been going through the motions, um, if we clearly understand that we don't believe there's a God, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you work a supernatural work as you 
took it all, taking all these dead people who know you now and made us alive. We pray you would make dead people alive today, that the gospel would be clear and people would see you as king and say, I want Jesus as my king and no longer myself. Oh, that's our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, Proverbs, uh, we are in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a book in the Bible, and the Bible uh, has 66 books, and in it, uh, in, in all those 66 books, there's a, a, a ton of different uh, genres, uh, just uh, uh, rules of writing within the, uh, the different books. And so uh, in Proverbs, a very different book than what you would call a historical book uh, or, um, uh, or an epistle, um, because they're doing certain things. In the Proverbs, what's happening is you have uh, what they call, Proverbs means wise and skillful living, okay? And so what you're having, you're having wise, um, pithy sayings uh, that are all throughout this book. And the heart behind it is Solomon, who is uh, probably the wisest person ever uh, created, every human ever created, because God gave him uh, wisdom uh, for his own glory. Uh, he writes most of the Proverbs, and then I think um, Lemuel and um, Agur wrote uh, a few other Proverbs um, in the book of Proverbs. And the heart behind writing these, these Proverbs, these wise and skillful sayings, was so that the people of God would be wise. Okay, and and wisdom comes. Wisdom really reveals itself um, when you really have two things that are actually um, probably good to do. Okay, um, there are some things that are just foolish, and some things that are wise. And I think those are the easy ones. Um, what Proverbs does too, it says there's some things that are good and some things that are the best. And so what he's doing throughout all the Proverbs is he's kind of continually honing us and sharpening us to be able to understand the things of God uh, so that we can learn how to, by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do the wisest thing uh, that brings God the most glory, right? That's, that's, sort of, that's sort of the desire of the book of Proverbs. Now, now, the way he wants us to understand Proverbs is by giving us these little wise, pithy sayings. Uh, some of, most of them are truisms. And that's very important as you're studying the book of Proverbs. Uh, truism um, is not a promise, okay? And so that's why you can't, you can't do the whole, you know, I'm going to claim this promise and God is going to bless me uh, with the proverb. Because Proverbs um, are, are basically wise people looking at life and saying, usually this is what happens, Okay, and so Proverbs are truisms in that it usually will happen, but not always. Okay, so that means you cannot claim it as a promise, but a truism. Also, um, the book of Proverbs um, is, is meant, uh, you have all these short verses um, rhyming sometimes and, and sounding the way they do. Uh, the reason why they're poet, poetic, uh, the reason why uh, the genre is and what, what it is, is because they want them to be easy sayings that you can remember. Okay? So he's writing all these different sayings, and that's why verse 1 sometimes makes, uh, doesn't even connect, you might think, with verse 3, uh, because there are all these short little sayings so that you can continually, like a squirrel, just, just harbor all these proverbs, all these wisdom, and learn these different sayings and be able to apply them to your life, okay? Like nuts, you know, squirrel, nuts kind of deal. So... Um, so that's, that's what's going on in Proverbs. Proverbs was written, uh, historians would say, between some kind of nine, 970 uh, to 930 uh, B.C. And that's what the heart was, uh, was, the, was to get, allow the people of God uh, to be wise. So because that's the way it's written, it would be irresponsible theologically, we would propose, uh, to try to go through the book of Proverbs like you would go through an epistle in the New Testament or a gospel. Okay, it's not a historical book in that way, and it's not an epistle, uh, but because of the way it's written, it seems most wise then to take it and break it down in topics and then do what you call a systematic study of the topic within the book. 
Okay, systematic study meaning gathering all the information that Proverbs is saying about that specific topic, putting it all together, and then seeing what God has to say about that topic within the book of Proverbs. So that's what we've done. Um, That's what we've done. That's what you've been doing uh, during our times is uh, going through what is the book of Proverbs saying about um, the mouth? What is the book of Proverbs saying about um, wisdom? What is the book of Proverbs saying about uh, folly, right? And today, we're going to do the exact same thing. We're going to talk about... What is God saying to his people as he's trying to have them become wiser uh, in the realm of prosperity and poverty? All right? So we got a real doozy here. So, Eric, why give, all, give that introduction many times? Because some of you have heard it before. The reason why is because you have to be careful. Uh, what I don't want you to do is when you're looking at Proverbs, especially if you come in here visiting, if, you, if you're a MacAver, you get this. But if you're visiting, I don't want you seeing this and going, oh, yeah, so that's what, that's what you do with the Bible. You say, okay, I want to be a better person, and now the way I do that is by doing this with my mouth, is by doing this with my money. Like you've missed the gospel, and you've missed why we, read, why we study books in the Bible. The Bible is not about us being better people and being self-help people, right? It's not Oprah. Uh, this is about Christ being king, and then what he does in this particular genre is trying to help us be wise, but be wise in light of gospel centrality, okay, in light of the gospel being wise, not the five steps and how to handle your money. That's not what this is, not a seminar, right? This is us understanding the wisdom. So I just want to, the reason why I go through what's going on with Proverbs, different than other books, is so that you make that distinction. We're not here to just be made better people, right? Bible always says, Good God, bad people. That's basically the story of God. So we know we jacked up. We trust Jesus. And now these things that we learn are helping us understand the gospel more so we understand who we are in Christ. That's very different than the five things I need to do to get better and make more money or buy a new garage or something, right? So so we're going to talk about poverty and prosperity. A lot of of material to cover. So I'm going to start with um, maybe... Maybe just loosen up some roots a little bit. So uh, the point of money is, is that we're called to serve God with money, um, not ourselves. And I want to propose, the reason why I started there is because there's two kind of major camps uh, that we have to deal with when we're talking about money before we can go into the scriptures. Uh, the first camp, uh, well, I would say you have your prosperity theology, and then you have your poverty theology within Christianity. All right, these are, two, these are two main groups, okay? I propose to you that, that MacAv ascribes to neither. We would say both are unbiblical, okay? Uh, let, me, let me start with, with prosperity theology. Okay, prosperity theology, if you've ever heard of it, people take a few scriptures, they see different people in the Bible, they see Abraham, he's rich, they see David, he got some dough, they see Solomon, he's rich. They're like, oh, okay. So then they read the scriptures that say, um, those who, you know, sow sparingly, reap sparingly, those who sow bountifully will reap a reward, right? And they start looking at all this stuff and they think, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, so if I have a lot of faith, I become more rich, all right? And so, so now they're going, okay, I, I get this. So the, the issue is that God wants me to prosper, and prosper is with material possessions. That's how he wants me to prosper, which I propose is absolutely demonic. I propose God doesn't want you to prosper. I, will, I would propose that he wants you to spiritually prosper, but that's another discussion. I just want to debunk the lies of prosperity theology right now, and we'll talk about that maybe in another sermon if you stick around with us. But so the issue isn't monetary compensation. So what happens is in our minds, our deduction as, as greedy Americans, which we all have the propensity to be, um, is to say, the, the, the more holy I am, the wealthier I'll be. Okay, that's prosperity theology. 
Now, this is prevalent all across America, and it's actually, it's very prevalent. Here's, here's what I love about the, how, how demonic this is. This crosses cultural barriers. You want, white folks want to be rich and black folks want to be rich, right? Asians want to be rich. Everybody wants to be rich, right? So you don't have, and no one's racist against money. Okay, so this is in all the camps. That's why you got Pentecostal saying this craziness. You got evangelical saying this craziness. It's all over the place, okay? All right, now, just to be clear, because we got to also do Christ and culture, it is extremely prevalent in the hood. Why? Because when you're in despair and someone tells you the way, there's a way to get money, you're going to listen to that person, okay? Left outside of the power of the Holy Spirit protecting you, you want to hear that gospel, well, it's a false gospel. You can hear it, and, oh, Lord forbid, it actually works in your life. Then it's crazy. But I propose to you that demons can allow those things to work in your life to keep you being demonic and worshiping, and worshiping Satan and not Jesus. Again, another sermon, but I got to be careful going to those different places. So, so it's prevalent across America. What really saddens me is, is that this goes across the country and, also, and outside of our country. So... So now, you know, Sarah and I, we spent a, a year in Africa, and, and you, if you've been to third world countries, this is huge in third world countries. So basically, Americans, we have exported this theology all across the world, and the world actually believes this now, right? So you go, you go do a mission trip somewhere um, outside of our country, and what you'll basically get is the gist that, okay, I want Jesus because if I get Jesus, then I'll be rich like Americans. And that's what's happening now. So you go to South America, you go to Africa, you go to impoverished areas in, post, in post-Christian Europe, and you'll hear that framework, right? So, but people, we think, oh, Christianity's taken off. Well, what kind of Christianity? Now, the prosperity theologian, which I wish I had the clip, you know they're going to just be a reality TV show now called, that's like a prosperity theology TV show. Don't have the clip. Go watch it. Don't believe it. Laugh at it, okay? And then tell other people that it's not from the Lord, okay? But it, it will, it will, it's an indictment on how evil and crazy we are, and I'm hoping it does not blur the gospel. I'm hoping it separates the gospel from silliness. That's my prayer. Um, now, the prosperity person will say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love Jesus. I, uh, we, we love Jesus. Um, and I would say graciously, by God's grace, you are conveniently deceived, um, here, now, here's why. Because prosperity theology in its root is basically saying, I want to use God. It's not saying I want to worship God. Prosperity theology says, I want to use God to get my real God, money. Okay? That's what it's saying. And so God is just an avenue to get what I really want. See, whenever, think about, when you think about, do I love the Lord? Am I a Christian? Don't think about it in a truncated fashion, you know, or like you, you said a few things. Think of it in the perspective of like, what do I want? What's my end goal? What do I want the most? Whatever that is, that's your God. That's your God. I don't care what you're saying. Whatever's your end goal in life is your God, right? If it's all about your kids, just because you go to church, and that could be part of you just trying to round your kids out. So you got to ask yourself, what, what, should, what, are you really, what are you wanting here? That'll really let you know what you're serving. So whatever, whatever the ultimate thing you're trying to get is your ultimate God, is the point. Okay, so that's prosperity theology. Mac Arrows would say that is absolutely unbiblical. That's not what we're about. 
The other camp, though, and this is where we can fall. We can fall prey to this one more. In this local body, it's poverty theology. Okay, so we read things like poverty theology. We read things like um, uh, it's better than a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's better than a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Right? We go, uh-oh, uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't have money. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil, and don't be greedy. And so we, we read all these things in the scriptures, um, and we begin to go, man, I, I probably shouldn't have money. Uh, so I, I watch some of us, we can try to get rid of it as quickly as we can. As soon as we get it, we just want to get it. It's like hot potato. You know, no, 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 here, you take it. And so we basically have this framework uh, where we think, man, that sounds really holy. Like we get stuff and we give it away and, and we don't need to have money. Um, and, I, and it sounds kind of pious, but what I want to say um, is that it's not pious. Listen to the theology here. What it's saying is the less you have, the closer you are to God. And all that is is asceticism. That's, what, that's an early century uh, framework philosophy where it was basically the more you beat yourself up, the more you starved yourself, the more you took yourself away from the world that you got favor with God. So the less you have, the more God goes, yeah, you get it. Those other guys don't, but you get it because you're poor and broke and you mad at everybody because you're broke. You get it. I'm being somewhat facetious, but that's how we can kind of think in our local body. We have to be very careful not to be an ascetic. And so the less you have, the closer you are to God. Now, the reason why both of these are extremely frustrating to be frustrating to the Christian is because they both erase the atonement. Do you know why they erase the atonement? It's because whenever you make something else the mediator to God, you erase Christ. Whenever you say that this thing gets me closer to God, I'm saying, no, no, no. The gospel says only Jesus gets you closer to God. Nothing else. Not having more money, not having less money, not doing some weird hooky-pooky ritual witchcraft thing. Nothing. If you, as soon as you start saying, I did this thing, therefore God did this, all you've done is you've moved Jesus out as the mediator and you've placed whatever it is that you're saying can force the hand of God as your new mediator. That's a gospel issue, family. That's a gospel issue. God says, Jesus is the only one who can make someone a friend who's an enemy. Jesus is the only one who can say, I am the only one who can bring you closer to God. So both of those are crazy. And it's not about you having a lot of stuff or having less stuff. Let's get that in our minds so that we can give grace to each other. Okay, Jesus is our only mediator. So be alarmed whenever, whenever someone tries to tell you uh, that there's something else that can mediate the favor of God in your life. Because I propose to you, they missed the gospel. There's only one. Now, Jesus brings us near to God. Um, and Jesus affirms everything in Proverbs, um, as we're going to go into right now. And I want to propose to you that Poverty theology is unbiblical. Prosperity theology is unbiblical. And I want to propose what Jesus does um, in Luke when he talks about the shrewd manager is he he gives us a snapshot, which we're going to hopefully prove uh, through Proverbs, that actually it seems what holiness is, is not this one or this one, but it's shrewd stewardship. It seems that what Jesus does is he says, actually, I don't want you to not like money. I don't want you to love money. (laughs) 
I want you to be a shrewd steward of money. And, that, and I would propose to you that maybe the issue um, is God wants us to have resources, not so that we can have them, but so that we can increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. And this is very convicting to all of us, including myself. But I'm proposing that God gives us stuff, right, because it tells us and gives us an opportunity to model another attribute of God as a giver. See, what's cool about it is God has everything. It's all his. He has an abundance of everything. He, and he's just sitting there, he's abundance of love, abundance of joy, abundance of resources, right? I love it says in the scriptures, even with salvation, that God who was rich in mercy. I love those kind of terms. Like he had more than he can deal with. Mercy just falling out of his pocket. I'm just mercy. Look at all the mercy, right? And he says he, he, he takes all that stuff that's falling out of his pockets and he gives it to us, right? He creates out of abundance of love. And so God does that kind of stuff. He, he has all this stuff, and he models through creation that he not only creates, he then he shares it, right? This is how our Lord is. So now think about, think about it now. Why do I have stuff? We get to retell his story. Now, the cool thing is we're stewards. It's all his. If he's doing that and it's, it's inherently, originally his, how much more for the person who then gives it to you to say, be like me? You understand that? That when you and I get stuff, it's an opportunity to be like God is, and that is to be a steward of that stuff and to be faithful and wise in how you use it for creation. So I propose the way we do that is through wise stewardship. Wise stewardship. Okay. So that was just the intro. Uh, Just to help us understand, just... Well, what, before we start jumping in verses, I want to make sure that we're thinking from the same playing field theologically of why God does this, what's out here, what kind of belief systems do we have? Because some of us need to right now, before we go into the text, repent of some of these theologies, right? We need to be saying, okay, wow, he's demoth- the Lord by his grace is allowing this dude to demythologize my mind. I'm a prosperity guy deep inside. I really want to get my Lord. Would you, would you forgive me? Or man, I walk around and I'm judging people because I don't have stuff and I'm intentionally not having stuff, but you got stuff and you're not being intentionally denouncing your stuff like, you, like I denounce my stuff. Lord, I need to confess spiritual pride and give people a break and realize you already died on the cross and everybody else don't have to die on the cross like that. We need to do some work so that we can have the right heart to actually understand what the scriptures tell us. So, Let's go to the scriptures. Now, I want to do it in this way. So considering if we're all in agreement, big picture, that God says, man, there's, here's, what he's, here's what wealth is. He wants to be a shrewd steward. Now we say, well, how do you do that, Lord? I know you don't want me to worship money. I know you don't want me to worship trying to beat myself up and, and not having money. What does it look like? I want to say it looks like four things. All right? I want to talk first in general about how Proverbs in general just says what, why God has given us stuff. Okay, we're going to do that quickly. And then I want to talk about four things. It seems that God says that there's four camps. You can be, um, you could be a godly rich person or an ungodly rich person. You can be a godly poor person or an ungodly poor person. I don't propose to you, those are the four camps Jesus is saying you can be, okay? And that he's not saying that everyone needs to be, and I'm going to prove to you that poverty um, is not is something... One question I'm going to try and bring up uh, is why are people poor? And I'm going to propose to you that, that poverty and wealth is part of creation, right? And I want to pro- process with you that it's not about 
being in poverty or being wealthy. It's about are you being good and godly poor and good and godly wealthy. So let's jump right in, guys. All right. So let's look at the Lord's point in general first in wealth. A couple of scripture verses reads, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 2, it says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. I love this sense. This is the concept of just God wants to start the level playing field. Hey, I made everybody. So look, poor person, rich person, God has made us all. Okay, so, um, so, this, so we, we start off with a robust sovereignty of God. Um, we go on, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth in Proverbs 3, verse 9, uh, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Right? I propose this is one of the points of why we have stuff, um, is to honor Jesus. Okay? I'm proposing to you the way we honor Jesus uh, is by being a true steward of our stuff. Okay? Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is rich, riches and honor in life. See, now a prosperous person take this, run around the building, and think they're going to get paid. Okay? That, that's not the point. I would say this thinking is more eschatological, but there's also a material component. Uh, that I would propose that this is about uh, kingdom and what God is doing in us, but also I propose it's also a truism, and that is people um, who are humble in the Lord and fear the Lord, um, that, and, you're, and you're being wise with your stuff. Because, see, that has a lot, of, a lot of presuppositions, right? You're not lazy. You're wise with your stuff. You're shrewd. That those people are going to probably get paid, okay? But not all the time. And that's why you got some poor people. All right? So it's a truism, but it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. All right. So now that's, I would say, those are just big picture. It seems that God is saying that's for every person um, in this room, okay? But now we have different segments. Uh, we have different segments because of creation, but because of also the fall. And I'm going to start with godly rich, all right? So what does it mean to be godly rich? All right, I'm just going to float through some verses, give some uh, comments, and uh, hopefully I can make some, some points uh, toward the end that will hopefully bring it all together. All right, guys? That's how we're going to roll. Proverbs 11, 24. You reading it, guys? Stick with me on these verses. Meditate on these verses. Think about them. Go back and look at them um, so that we, we, can, we can really see God build worshipers uh, in us um, as we think about how we use our stuff. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give. This is verse 24 of chapter 11. And only suffers want. One, right? So the first thing we see is a godly rich person is not stingy. Okay? But he realizes it's a gracious gift. So he realizes the stuff he has is a gift. So the, 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 the godly rich person isn't worshiping the stuff, so he's not killing himself in all ways working and doing everything because that, that shows that that's your focus. But he's also not stingy. He gets stuff and he gives it, okay? Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him, right? The godly rich guy gets that poverty is in existence, and he gets that he's a steward to make sure that he looks at everyone and sees them with value, purpose, and worth. And because of that, he wants to give to those who, don't, who are the have-nots because he wants to make sure that they're feeling cared for because they're created in God's image. Right? He says, hey, you, you see, I've, I've seen this. Wealthy people, you get big time, you think, I got mine. And you kind of, in the way you do life, you can oppress those who are down and out. You can do it intentionally, or you can just do it by happenstance, right? You know, I mean, as simple as going to a really cool hotel, you know, and a guy comes in, he's not making a lot of money, you just dog him out because he didn't get your bags quick enough or something like that, right? Or it can be you have the power in a community, and so you make sure you keep the power within those who are upperly mobile, and you make sure you shun out those who are down and out, 
right? Gentrification without justice, for example. Building up a city, displacing the poor, not really caring where they go, right? Because you're going to be all right, and you want to keep your stuff. 21 verse 5, and if you have questions or insight, please raise your hand, guys. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty, who is hasty comes only to poverty, right? So what he says is everyone who wants to be rich, um, uh, but, but really no people don't, no one wants to work, right? You get the hasty, that concept of like, man, I, I just want to make it, I want to get, I want to get paid, I want to get paid. But if you notice, you're going to see a theme in Proverbs. He's always talking about that wealthy guy um, diligently works, works hard, consistently puts his, his hand to the plow, right? Everybody wants to get paid or nobody want to work, right? He's saying, well, you want to be a godly rich guy, you need to work hard. You need to have a work ethic. So we're talking theology, but this is, this is on the playing field, guys. I'm saying when you, go out to your, when you go out to your homes in our community and neighboring, remember this, right? If you're struggling right now, ask yourself, are you lazy? These are healthy questions. Verse uh, 20 in, in chapter 14. Um, I'm sorry, can I just give one more thing about that? I love the picture of, of, of contentment and focus, right, versus discontent. Right, they're diligent. They're just, it leads surely to abundance. Is a sense of being diligent that it's, that abundance is coming. But obviously, the inference here is that that's not necessarily his goal. But it will happen. So you got to keep in mind when he when he's affirming godly people, he's affirming godly character. He's not affirming somebody who wants abundance and that's all they want. Right? <laughs> he's assuming godly traits. So don't think no, but that's that's prosperity. He filed. No, no. This is assuming the person's godly, is not stingy, due to, you know, just due to uh, the deduction. Verse 20 of chapter 14, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Point there is the issue of stewardship. Rich folks got a lot of friends because they got a lot of money, right? You know that's true. You know you're you friends with people just because they got money, right? That's how we always people. We're net, we're, net, networking is a very platonic word. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Right, and we do it because we're trying to, you know, build, get our, get our tight, get, get ourselves tight. We, we understand that. He's saying, if you're the rich guy and you know that's going to be the case, people are going to want resources from you. Hey, don't use and abuse that. Be a steward of it. Right, right. So that the whole point. I mean, the, the reality is, I'm just, I'm just telling you. He's saying this, this guy probably, right? The poor is just like it's, it's, really, it's really a commentary on the poor, right? That man, when you don't have nothing. It's hard to have friends because you don't really offer anything to anybody. I'm flipping it and saying, I wonder what that means to the rich guy who does have something. You have all those friends. Do you just disband them or do you be shrewd about that? The rich rules over the poor and the bar is a slave to the, of the lender. Again, a stewardship passage. The rich rules over the poor. That's just a reality. Right? That's, re- that's real. So the question not is do you rule over the poor? The question is how do you rule over the poor? How do you use your resources? And many of us in this room are part of this, these groups here of the godly rich because we have opportunity and we have resources. You might not have millions, but you have a lot more opportunity than a lot of people in our community. Uh, verse uh, 9 of 22 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye, I love that concept, will be blessed, for he, uh, for he shares his bread with the poor. And verse 6 says, um, verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 6 of chapter 15 says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble falls the income of the wicked. Both are an issue of stewardship, and I love this bountiful concept. It's the, the one who has a good eye, that guy who has resources, but he's always thinking about how to be righteous, Right? Do you ask the Lord, do you have a good eye? Do you have a righteous eye? Right? He says, that righteous guy, he shares his bread with the poor. 
Okay. So those are some traits of being godly and rich, right? Not stingy. You share your stuff with, the, with those who are down and out, right? You see people creating Imago Day, right? Um, you work hard. Um, you realize that your life and everything you have is a stewardship, right? Now, let's talk about what does it mean uh, to be ungodly and rich? Because the interesting thing in Proverbs is like half of the occurrences in Proverbs tell you to prize wealth. And there's another half that tells you to get away from wealth in the same book, right? Is Jesus like schizophrenic or is there just something that he understands about money and how it's supposed to be used as a stewardship? But usually what happens almost just like Lord of the Rings, you get that ring on, you start tripping, right? And all of a sudden it's your God, you know, and you're green and run around in, in woods and stuff. So, all right, so ungodly rich. Um, verse 16 of chapter 11, a gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches, right? Now I want us to, guys, pause on this, okay? Because I really want you, um, if you need to, if we need to stand up and stretch, I don't want you to hear like ungodly rich. I don't want you to miss these concepts here. Because I just, I think this is, is so humbling to me, this concept of like violent men get riches, right? His whole, what's the, what's the posture there? The posture is like people, like if you're not walking with the Lord, you'll do anything for money, that's the whole point. That's the humbling point there. That, that, that violent piece. See, we, we want to, the reason why we want to we take this guy and make him some crazy guy out robbing 7-Elevens, because that's not us, right? You know you don't have no dope man Uzi putting guns in people's heads, right? But that's not his point. We want to make him that guy because then we don't have to relate to that guy. But no, he, he's calling them violent because you got to be a sick person, which is all of us, where you'll do whatever. You, you, basically, your lack of integrity, lack of character to get money. Violent men get riches, is his point, right? Saying you're willing to do violence. Verse 15 of chapter 10 says, A rich man's wealth is a strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin, right? So ungodly rich people, and this is huge in my spectrum of influence when I have to deal and talk with people in the community to raise support and stuff. Man, rich people, just because you're rich, they automatically think they're wise. Automatically. They just think, <laughs> I'm rich. They do. I'm keeping it real. And, and, he, and he's saying here, you, you, have, you deceive yourself. That a rich person, an ungodly rich person, you have deceived yourself, right? And you have trusted in your stuff. And you actually think you have this huge high tower. And then you get cancer. And then you die in three days. And then you Steve Jobs. You're a billionaire and dead. Now what, Steve? He says, you think, it's, you, think you have a strong city? Jesus, like, I'll snuff you out like that. Are you kidding? And then the poverty of the wealth is a ruin, the whole concept there, which is sad to me, but it's a reality. He's, he's saying that the reality is that when you are in poverty, um, there's a sense of, like, anxiety because you're broke. And so, and that, and, that, and that poverty in itself becomes your ruin because you can't, you can't, there's so much noise. And what's cool about our body, I just want to affirm you, you, we see that practically, so much noise in people's lives, you're like, man, they can't even really hear the gospel. I don't propose that that's what this is saying, that, that what happens is when you broke, it just, you just kind of like focus on that. Um, so man, please don't be deceived if you got resources. Uh, verse four, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. 
See that? He's talking again, perspective, right? But righteousness delivers from death, right? He's saying, hey, all the dough in, your, in the world don't mean anything when you're standing before a holy God. This is his point. You got to have perspective. That's what he's saying. Ungodly rich people miss that. They miss that there's a day of wrath coming. Ungodly rich people miss that. Better a little, um, in verse 8 of chapter 16, it says, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice, right? He's saying, guess what? Uh, the means do justify the ends, right? There should be a character component. See, again, speaking to what are you willing to do to get money? What are you willing to do to get money? Right? He's saying better do you get a little bit, but you're righteous than a whole lot, but you undawed and connived and stepped on people's necks to get there. Verse 6 to 21, chapter 21, he says, a getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Same concept. Verse 5 of chapter 17. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad um, at calamity will not go unpunished. He says, hey, an ungodly rich person just kind of insults the poor, kind of mocks them. Get a job, you know. I, I worked hard. I got all this. I did this. Do it like I did it. That's mockery. That's blasphemy. You didn't do this. God was gracious to you. We don't believe that. You don't really believe. Man, no, I, I, I built this. I, I, I made the name. I made the logo. I, I went to those guys and got those accounts. I, I, I did that. God says, you don't get it. You don't get it. You, you insult me, man. I blessed you. I blessed, why you got all that stuff? So that you could be a steward, a shrewd steward. So the people can see all the stuff you have. You don't point to you. You say, the Lord did this. And, and how can I help you? And how can I build this business for you? And how can I bless you? How can I help you, single mom? That's why the Lord gave you that stuff. Ungodly people. Ungodly rich people. We mock the poor because we think we're all that. Verse 11 of chapter 28. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Skew perspective. You get some money, you just, and if you, and what happens, it's not just you get paid. Then you start hanging with other sinners who are paid. That's when you get jacked up because y'all start having conversations. You know what I'm saying? And you start going, yeah, I'm paid and you pay and they not. So maybe we all, we tight, they create, that's what happens. All right. We have more value and worth and they, and now you start and see Deception. He says, um, a stingy man, I'm sorry, verse 16 of chapter 22, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. You see that? You go, man, who, who would oppress the poor? Oh, you know, man, left outside of the spirit, I totally dog the poor people to get money. You like, you like that too? Are you human? It says, verse 22 of chapter 28. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. An ungodly man. And so when your minds, when you're reading these verses, a lot of text, right? My prayer is that it's preaching to you. That the text, you're going, man, this is a lot of text, but this is, this is God's word. God said this about my journey. God said that about my journey. And what I want you to do is think of the key words. An ungodly person, duh, an ungodly rich person, da, da, da. So for example, an ungodly rich person here, uh, where am I at? Uh, he says, he oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich, right? 
So an ungodly person, right, does not oppress poor people. I want you to think like that. Um, uh, a godly rich person, I'm talking about, but an ungodly rich person does do that. Verse 22, a stingy man hastens, right? A, uh, an ungodly rich person wants to get rich. You see that? Ungodly rich people, that is their God. That's their focus. Now, that's hard because God wants us to work hard. And, and, you know, we have this little thing in us where we want to be godly, but we also want to make a lot of money, right? And that's attention. Here he's saying that guy who's, who's pursuing wealth falls to ruin. Verse 14 of chapter 30. Uh, there are those whose teeth are sores, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth. Isn't that deep? The needy from among mankind. I mean, isn't the, the Bible to me is one of the most convict, this is so convicting. Because you see how he doesn't mince words there? That's just hard. He's like, man, there, there, there are many of us we have our fangs out, and we, we, it's not that we just like having our money. We want to get rid of the poor, get those people, and we think like that. We start saying things about people being dirty and it's not educated, and that's how we look at people, and we totally destroy the component of Imago Dei, creating an image of God. I didn't say it. God said it right here. He says, this is what we do. Is this for people? Look, so the question on the table, uh, we looked at uh, basically godly rich, ungodly rich, okay? Now, here's a question. It, it, to me, it brings a question up. Is like, so is people being poor their fault or not? Isn't that a crazy question? Now, I want to say biblically, the answer um, is yes and no. All right? <laughs> Y'all got nervous, didn't y'all? So uh, here's why. I'm actually going to do this with a verse. Uh, verse uh, 23 of chapter 13 uh, says, The fallow ground of the poor uh, would yield much fruit, but it is swept away through injustice. Okay? So um, I want to say first, uh, it's not always... Uh, because right here, what you're seeing is Jesus giving commentary that, guess what? God has provided enough resources for everybody. And what does it say here? But those who are poor don't yield the fruit that they're supposed to get. Why? Because it's swept away by injustice. You see that? That's what he's saying here. Poor people should have food. They should have stuff. But guess why they don't? Because of many of us. And we take. And we say, no, actually, I want yours too. And we do it in really cool ways, in white-collar ways, where it doesn't look like we're that evil. Okay? So, I propose from just this verse alone, um, we can say that sometimes uh, it's not poor people's fault to be poor. We can also look pragmatically. Uh, So, Jesus tells us right now, part of the people being poor because of injustice, humans like us. Okay? The other thing is you look pragmatically. You think of myself growing up in the hood, uh, my mom had realized my mom and dad were drug dealers at the age of around four or five. Uh, you think of cats in our community. Um, these young men and women who are five and six years old, and they go to schools that don't even provide books in the richest country in the world. Um, you, you, you can't, and you go, and you go next door to their house, and the house is burnt down, and people have been murdered across the street from little kids. 
and they walk and they can't ride their bikes up and down streets and there's no park and there's no grocery store and there's no third place to just go hang out. You can't then say to that kid, it's your fault. So I think we're on the same page that, that, all, that there's times uh, where we see in our community and theologically, I think that affirms verse 23, that because of injustice, we do have an unlevel playing field and some people are trying to pay their bills. They're trying to learn how to live right. They're trying to honor the Lord. Uh, they have a jerk for a husband. Um, they have a jerk for a wife, and um, it didn't work out. You couple that with sinful people, and you get object poverty, okay? At the very same time, it's, it's a yes. Some poor people, it's absolutely their fault, okay? And we're going to look at that in a moment as we look at Scripture. So I want us to build a conviction, though. And be able to answer that question theologically when someone talks like that. I think you can, take them to, you can take them to verse 23. And you can give them a testimony pragmatically, and you can give them affirmation theologically, and have them wrestle with that reality. That is both. And that means there must be stewardship now. If that's true, God says the answer is shrewd stewardship. So now let's look at... Uh, Godly poor, okay? Verse 25 of chapter 13. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers one, right? A godly poor person is content, right? They're content and they're diligent. Uh, They have enough to satisfy their appetite. They're not tripping. You know, no woe is me concept. They're just saying, I'm content. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed... Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. I put that one in this, con- this context because when you hear that, we automatically think rich and we give no accountability to the poor people being generous. But I want to propose a poor, godly person is generous too. You have something to give and you are supposed to give it because God is a giver and you retell the story of God and everybody's called to retell the story of God. So you want, to be, you want to be godly and poor? Be a giver. Don't navel gaze and go, well, what about me and my needs and what about mine? No. Remember, let the Lord deal with that. He got you. Verse 16 and 17 of, verse, uh, of chapter 15, it says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs. Don't you love these concepts? I mean, I couldn't see if the Bible is real, but not just historically Jesus rose. I couldn't think of this stuff to save my life. Look at this. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. That's just, that's just gospel. He says, the, 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 right, He's, this person, godly poor, the Lord is their treasure. 
You see that? The Lord is their treasure. Have you seen that? Have you seen like very wealthy people and you go to their house and like the kids cussing out their mama, you know, and there's this chaos everywhere and no one loves the Lord. And then we're so silly to go, man, we don't even, to go, man, but I wish I had all this stuff. And God is like, change your perspective. Don't you get it? You know Jesus. Your kids are growing up in a godly home, E. Don't worry about all this. This is treasure. Jesus is treasure. He is the treasure. He is the best treasure. Guess what he's saying here? He's saying if you have Christ, you're not poor. He's saying you're rich. That's the point in the Gospels. His point is that he made us rich because we saw our poverty. That's the point of the gospel. Verse 19 of chapter 16, it says, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor, right, than to divide the spoil with the proud. He says, be of a lowly spirit and be with the poor and be in a cave somewhere. Talking about we love the Lord, though, and we're serving each other and we're caring for each other and I'm loving my wife and I'm doing all these things. You know, versus you, you know, just chaos. But you, you look, I, look, we did it, man. Look at us. We saw off the chip. Look at us. Where you want to go? You want to go to the Caymans? You want to go to the, you know, balling out and then die apart from God? He's like, you stupid. Here's a test. A godly poor person, the question you ask them is, would you send to get money? They'll say no. That's a question. Would you send to get paid? A good name is to be chosen, verse 1 of chapter 22. Notice this a lot, guys. Let me keep going. Rather than great riches, a fa- and favor is better than silver or gold. You see that? Same concept. Now, what about ungodly poor? That's godly poor. The point there is God is saying, hey, he's saying the, the goal isn't to like basically get out of this. The goal is to always remain godly, whatever God does. See, a person who really believes that you are trusting in the sovereignty of God. Ungodly poor people, look at this, chapter 6, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, and a little uh, of the hands to rest. An ungodly poor person is lazy. You are lazy. Sluggard. It's a huge trait. It's a huge trait in the, in, in the Bible, and it's a huge trait in our community. Right, cats? Grown men on the corner, sitting on buckets in the fields. Doing absolutely nothing, right? Have stories of people saying, man, brother said, I, you know, I, I'm mad because I got to pay child support. And so I don't know if I'm going to get a job because they're going to want to take my money so I don't get a job. Are you kidding me? That's just laziness, right? That's stupid on so many levels. And it's kind of the Norman cultural milieu here, Right? And that's why, here's the, here's the deal, y'all. And I, that's why we got to understand our culture. We got to speak to it, okay? And that's why also my, you know, my African-American brothers and sisters in here, that's why we got to be tellers 
of this community of Mac Avenue Community Church. We got to vouch for this church. Guess why? Because the gospel, whether, you know, this, this freaks people out. You got these white folks in here. You got Asian folks. What the world's going on here? We got to vouch for this church because the gospel's going forth. And guess what? There's a lot of false gospels in this community. And it's going to be us, the sacrificial lambs, because you got our white brothers and sisters going, I can't speak to that like you, okay? And so you and I, we got to make sure we can get more brothers to see that this is legit, so that the true gospel can go forth and so that we can all have a voice and talk about the truth, the reality of the gospel. And some of these things can never be talked about because we are not sharing our voice and saying, no, Mac is legit. What they're saying is legit. This is an awesome church. Forget about your race. We need to deal with some of this stuff. And then I think we can really move forward. I don't have absolutely nothing to do with this, but no, but the, but the reason why I bring it up is because these prophetic things cannot just be said to every, from everybody in this room at this stage. Okay? So you really got to ask yourself, like, what is my prophetic voice in this community so these things can be said? It says, um, verse 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, uh, but blesses he who is generous to the poor. I already said that one. Sorry. Um, it is better. I said, let it, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. I'm right down here. Sorry. Um, it says, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Um, Again, laziness, right? Uh, Love not sleep, verse 13 of chapter 20, lest you come to poverty, open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread, right? Uh, Now, people say, well, but hold up. I work a lot. I want to propose that cats in our community, some people do work a lot. They don't work smart, okay? We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we we have some naivete in our, in, in what we're doing, Okay? And so I think we need to, we need to process some of that stuff because there's some assumptions here, and I hopefully I can get to a, a, an example in a moment. Verse 9 of chapter 12, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Here is an example of how we can have, we can now work smart, okay? You might work a lot, but guess what? You broke, okay? And so instead of just acting, being broke and being content in that, right, you take your last dollar and you want to show everybody that you are right, though, but you're not all right because you broke, all right, so now you go paint your nails for $50 and you only have $52, right? Or you go buy some, shot, some, some Jordans or you go do your hair for $150, right? And you ain't got no money, but you want to show everybody that you tight, right? And then you're mad because you broke. That's not working smart. God says, be okay where you at. It's okay if you ain't got enough money to buy good shoes, then buy bad shoes, and save your money and budget so that you can one day get good shoes over and over again. Poverty and disgrace, verse 18 of chapter 13, comes to him who ignores instruction. Ungodly poor people, we, all of us, but specifically here in the text, we're just arrogant. And there's a sense of unteachability. And so you know it all already. Someone try to help you, help you get a budget, help you do things the right way, and you still, you, I mean, you're going to do it this way, and you know what you, okay, all right, well, stay broke. It's a sense of unteachability. In all toil, there's profit, verse 23, but mere talk tends only to poverty, again, right? We're a talking culture, the one we live in, a lot of text, right? I'm just trying to, we're a talking culture, right? Everyone talks about what they're going to do and what they're going to have, right? And you look at it and you start parsing it out. It's like, dude, that's, that, you, that's unattainable. How are you going to be a doctor when you're making D's? That's stupid. You can't do that, bro. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to be that guy, right? I'm going to end the party for you. 
okay? You can't do that. So everyone's talking about, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. Watch when, I, watch when I make this business plan, I'm going to do this. Hold on. We need to, don't just talk about it. You got to be about it. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, right? Whole point there, who, he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Whole point, delay gratification, right? delay gratification, right? You love pleasure. People who just keep, you can't, you can't, you can't just pause and chill because you love pleasure, right? That's your God, Right? So the concept is twofold. Either you're just always putting your money in pleasure, right, and there's no time to pause, right, that's delayed gratification, or it's not even about delayed gratification, it's an addiction, which is the next verse. Look what it says. Verse 21 of chapter 23. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags, right? Abuses, right, and materialism, big candidates for poverty. All right? Conclusion is this. Godly poor and rich both serve God with their money. And the way that's proven is through godly character. That's the litmus test. That's the point. Here's some other, some other takeaways. That prosperity is not a right, but it's a privilege and a responsibility is what we learn. Here's what we learn about poverty. It is not viewed as an intrinsic evil but a reality that must be handled in light of the gospel. That's how poverty is viewed in the Bible. And because of that, twofold, we're mandated to protect the the rights of the poor, and we're mandated to be godly poor people. Right? Both camps. The rich person, you're mandated to protect the rights of those who have not. Poor people, you're mandated to be godly in poverty. And all of us, I put them in bookends, if you notice this, I would say the big picture is the godly, poor, and rich both serve God with their money. And in the last statement here, our economic status does not define us nor secure us, but only Christ does. That's his point. Bye, his please. Lord Jesus, in your holy name, would you give us the grace in this room right now to do work with you, to humbly come before you with our our false centers, Lord. And will you replace in our false centers a center of Christ where we would say, we can cry out with you, that our economic status, it does not define us, Lord. It does not secure us. You do both. Hallelujah to you, O great King. In Christ's name, amen.